Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 122, and we're reviewing Mob Psycho 103. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. We have a lot of really exciting updates. Well, not ex- I guess the first two are exciting, and then we wanted to talk about some... Some stuff about us that we haven't uh, tapped into. Not so exciting. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe are we exciting? Is it exciting when we talk about ourselves? (laughs) The the first two are more exciting than talking about ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, either way, we have a lot to to cover right off the bat here. And the most important thing, first off, is we want to welcome our newest patron, a very unique patron, and that is Earthworm from Anime Brothers Podcast. (laughs) Woohoo! <laughs> so yeah, very, very surprised, very excited to have um, Earthworm join our Strictly fam on Patreon. Thank you so much, Earthworm. Holy shit, we really appreciate it. That was very unexpected, and that really made our day. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, Earthworm, you are Mob Psycho 100% crazy for doing that. <laughs> but as Courtney said, thank you so much for your support. It's good to have a fellow anime brother join our family. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners who have been with us for quite some time, I'm sure you guys recognize that name, Earthworm. I'm sure you guys recognize Anime Brothers Podcast. But if you don't, Anime Brothers Podcast is a um, a sibling podcast of ours, you could say, where they do a lot of what we do. They review anime. They talk about really unique topics um, when it comes to like the anime industry or the community or just anime in general. And they recently came out with their sort of seasonal fall 2022 episode, which includes their thoughts on Mob Psycho 103. So as soon as you're done listening to this episode, head over to Anime Brothers Podcast and check out that episode. I believe it came out January 9th. So you'll hear their thoughts on Mob Psycho as well. And they're big Mob Psycho fans. So they've got some really good opinions on it. And I I just love listening to their conversations and banter. Um, Just... Just two great guys talking about a, a great topic. So Yeah, and they've been on our podcast a number of times. We've been on their podcast a number of times. So we know them very well at this point. They're they're great guys. And thank you again, Earthworm, for your support. We seriously appreciate it. And if any of you would like to support the show as well and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-show, our show schedule, so you can see what's coming up the next month or so, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. And speaking of guest spots or guest appearances, we're super excited to share that we were once again guests on TV and movie trivia pod with Brian. And this time around, because I know we've done some some very different movie trivia in the past, this time is probably our most unique one because we were part of Kung Pao Trivia. For anyone who's not familiar with Kung Pao, it's like a cult classic movie from, oh shit, was it like the early Early 2000s? Yeah, I would say early 2000s. And this one was um, very special because it's Brian who hosts TV and movie Trivia Pod. It's one of his favorite movies. And it's also a movie I grew up watching because it was just always on TV. I think it might have been on Comedy Central. I can't remember. So I am pretty familiar with Kung Pao, but I haven't watched it in like over a decade. So I was super excited to jump back into that movie and super excited for you to watch it for the first time because this is a really fucking weird movie Mm -hmm. in a good way. No, yeah, I actually, I enjoyed it far more than I thought it would. And so I'd like to thank Brian for introducing me to this this classic piece of cinema. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, can, I think it just kind of fits in 
with that early 2000s humor that feels so nostalgic to the both of us. Uh, and it's it's funny because I think the, the main actor, Steve Odekirk, who also directed the movie, also went on to be part of like other TV and movie productions, including Jimmy Neutron. There you so go. <laughs> interesting bit of trivia about this movie. Yeah, Kung Pao is great. I, I love it. It's right up our alley in terms of humor. Like we're big fans uh, for anyone who's familiar with like Tim and Eric. We love Tim and Eric, especially Tim and Eric Awesome showed a great job. That's like, that's one of the ways we define the type of humor that we enjoy. Just that weird random shit. Yeah, like <laughs> Or Eric Andre. The scene <laughs> where in the beginning of the film where it's just the, the camera shots that are zooming in Oh constantly. yeah, the constant zoom-ins. Like, oh that was God, like one was. of my favorite parts. <laughs> so yeah, Kung Pao is right up our alley. We were super excited to join Brian once again and you know go through trivia on Kung Pao. And I think we did pretty damn well i'd say no i wanted to do my damnedest for this trivia just (laughs) knowing that it was one of brian's favorite movies and yeah i think we did a solid job so be sure to check out tv and movie trivia pod find our episode on kung pao which actually goes live or premieres uh the day after this episode premieres on strictly anime and see how many questions you can get right or see if you can beat us in our score see if you are the chosen one (laughs) So let's do a life update. I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, we haven't talked about what's been going on with us for quite some time. I mean, we, we shared the big news um, at the end of 2022 that we are expecting a baby. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about baby showers and other things. Baby showers. I don't know. I, I'm just like, what's new with us right now? That's the biggest thing on our mind at the moment besides all things anime is our baby shower that we're planning. So yeah, I mean, it's a it's a baby shower. I don't know. <laughs> it's a shower full of babies. It's been, <laughs> I, I find this interesting because when we planned our wedding shower, um, it, we approached it a bit differently. Like we, we did the registry, we did all of that, but I feel like building a registry for a wedding shower was far easier than building a registry for a baby shower because you know, like at, at that point in our, our life, like we had lived in apartments, we knew like what we needed in terms of like decor or furnishings or cookware, things like that. Like you have a general idea of the stuff that you're going to need when you, you know, move in together and start your life together and whatnot. With a baby, I... I have no fucking idea what we need. I'm I don't know mm. what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> We're putting what does this together. The current literature say. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I like looked up like checklists for putting together a baby registry, and I'm like, I have no idea what 75% of these things are. And a lot of that I think stems from the fact that of all of our friend groups, I'm one of the oldest. So I've typically been the first to go through a lot of major life events like getting a pet or getting married, what have you. So I've kind of been that that trailblazer and I usually end up like not knowing what to do because I have no one to lean on who's gone through it before. And it's especially true with this whole like baby thing. Although we do have a couple of folks that we know that have babies already. Yeah, like so, our families. Yeah, or some of or our, our close friends. So we've been able to lean on them a little bit, but it's just so new to us because we don't have like we're not super surrounded by baby stuff all the time so i'm like i don't know like there's so many swings and cribs and shit out there i'm like i don't know what's good and what's not and i'm trying to do my best like researching it and i still don't know (laughs) so it's been extremely overwhelming to put together the registry 
Um, and I feel like with our baby shower, it's maybe not as stressful as like the wedding shower, but we're doing um, like a ladies only type of thing for the baby shower because we want to keep it more intimate, um, like a smaller gathering. And it's been tough for us to not be able to invite some of the the guys in our life because our wedding shower was co-ed and we had everybody. We're like, fuck it. We're going to have everyone, everyone together, um, especially because a good chunk of our wedding party was comprised of, of guys. So with that said, I was like, we want to like do something for for you carl we want to do something to recognize you because yeah i'm the one having the baby but like you're also going to be a father soon (laughs) so i had heard about i had heard about diapers for (laughs) dad and like what the fuck is diapers for dad and i looked into it and apparently it's like a really chill version of a baby shower before the guys yeah and i actually heard about this concept from a co-worker of mine as well Although they called it Huggies and Chuggies. Huggies and Chuggies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because again, it's not like a it's not a formal baby shower. It's just an excuse for the father to be his friends, like guy friends, to get together and, and, and get drunk, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the admission price is that the the invited friends and family have to bring a, a pack of diapers. Um, and that's sort of like their equivalent to a baby shower gift since, you know, I've been hearing that babies just blow through diapers like there's no tomorrow. Well, we did watch that one SpongeBob episode. All right. <laughs> that, that should prepare us. <laughs> yeah, the clams, diapers, or used diapers are covered in the wallpaper. And <laughs> there's a pile of it outside. Yeah. So I think there's truth to that episode. I think it'll be a lot of fun, though, Um, because, again, like I I wanted we have a lot of guy friends that are very, very close to us. And we kind of felt bad that like the ladies got to do some stuff, but we didn't get to do anything like with the the guys in our life. And so I think this will be a really great, fun thing to do. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Diapers for Dad just sounds like a very strange title. Like there's no good title for it right now, but I just like the idea of like you guys getting together and partying and celebrating the fact that you're going to be a dad pretty soon. Yeah, the name threw me off at first because I thought it would mean like they're they're buying diapers for me specifically. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to wear the diapers. It's like, why are you buying diapers for the baby? But then, yeah, it's just the moniker just to name this, I guess, male version of a baby shower. Um, Yeah, it it should be fun, especially because we have some games planned. I'm not going to reveal one that we have in particular, uh, but... Like, yeah, because some just, of the some of the people invited probably probably are listening. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I've been to a co-ed baby shower in the past, and there was a game that we played uh, where it was they filled up baby bottles with rum chata, which is uh, a, a a rum that's mixed with horchata, so it has this very milky, cinnamony taste. Um, so I think all of the adults who wanted to participate they had to finish that whole baby bottle of rum chata and the first one to finish like wins a prize. And I was the one who happened to win that prize because I loved rum chata at the time. Um, so I was, <laughs> I was hoping to play games like that. We can't play that at like a, a baby shower where, you know, it's mostly our, our older relatives <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like some of our family and friends, but I, I doubt they'd want to play something like that. But 
with my guy friends, I'm sure they're much more open to that. So. Well, we did. We can talk about um, now that we've actually shared the news. We can talk about our Halloween party in a little more depth. Mm-hmm. So we did a. We, I think we mentioned it at some point, but we did a Halloween slash my birthday party because my birthday is in October. But it was also slash a. I guess you call it like a mini gender reveal for our friends. So we played a couple of games, and one of those was the rum chata in a baby bottle mm-hmm. drinking game. <laughs> and uh, yeah, watching everyone chug down rum chata a through of- <laughs> a baby bottle as fast <laughs> as they could was pretty wild. A lot of scrunched up faces. Although my one <laughs> friend won because apparently the hole in the the, the nipple. Yeah, it's, it's called? called like the nipple on the bo- yeah, baby bottle. Like he was able to open it a little bit more, which allowed the rum chata to flow And everyone's easier. like, fucking cheater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, um, the other game we played um, was like a gender guessing game. We had a um, like a poster board and one side was boy, one side was girl, and everyone wrote their names on like a piece of paper and taped it to which side that they guessed the, the baby's gender would be. And then the other game that um, we played was a name game i don't know we didn't have like an official title for it but we asked our friends to pick a name of any gender um either fictional or real that we should name our baby after someone put like lord voldemort right <laughs> yeah or <laughs> i think uh someone put cc as in like cc halpert who is jim and pam's daughter from the office and the one that ended up winning uh <laughs> I love this one so much. It's Carl's Jr. And for anyone who's not familiar with what Carl's Jr. is, it's a fast food chain here in the United States. <laughs> but you know, it's Carl's Jr. And I was like, that's fucking clever. Mm-hmm. That's good. So that one ended up uh being the the big winner. But there were some really, really interesting names and we had a, a good time with everyone celebrating um that big news. Yeah, those are great games to play. I think we'll have to come up with newer ones for the diapers for dad party again we have one in mind but we'd like to keep it a secret for now just in case one of the invitees happens to listen to this episode uh but yeah i'm gonna have to do a little bit more research on what games we could play that you are, are baby gonna have, themed you're gonna have fun though you're gonna you're gonna drink a lot it's gonna be a good time i'm jealous i wish i could drink with you but i'll i'll make up for it after the baby's here <laughs> So now let's do a quick anime update because um, I know we talked a little bit in a recent episode about what we're watching. So I wanted to give a give an update on that. I think I shared in a recent update that I have restarted Wolf's Reign because everyone roasted the shit out of me during our roast episode because I gave Wolf's Reign a really bad score on Mal. And I'm halfway through now. And like I predicted, I still really love the first part of Wolf's Reign. I think it's really, really good. So now that I'm entering the second half, I'm going to see how things go with the ending. Because that's what put me off on Wolf's Reign is the fact that I, at the time when it was premiering on Adult Swim, hated the ending so much. I don't really remember the ending. I actually don't remember a lot of Wolf's Reign. Now that I'm halfway through, I'm realizing that like there's some major story beats that I recall but a lot of the smaller things have pretty much left my brain because it's been so many years since I've watched it. So I'm I'm I am really interested to see if my opinion changes now on Wolf's Reign's ending versus when I first saw it. What is it about? I don't think I ever asked you this. 
So if you could condense it um, to like a couple sentences. Oh God. So uh, yeah, let me let me think about this. How do I explain it? Wolf's Reign is about four wolves, but they live in a world where wolves are thought to be extinct. Um, however, they're not extinct. They've just found a way to blend in with their surroundings, which basically means they're able to look like humans to humans, but they can turn that ability on and off. So they want to reveal the fact that they are wolves. They can do that. It's not necessarily shape-shifting. It's more like putting on a facade because when someone sees them change from a wolf to a human, it's more like in a snap or like in an instant um, mm. versus like a transformation that you'd see in other anime. And so they're trying to, the wolves are trying to find paradise, um, but there's like people that are trying to kill them because of some drama or whatever. So yeah, that's their goal. It's about four wolves who are trying to find paradise. Was that concise enough? <laughs> yeah. I don't think it does it justice, but <laughs> it's concise. What's with wolves in anime? Like wolves rain, uh, beast stars. I don't know. They love wolves. <laughs> I've also started Monster. I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but Monster is now streaming on Netflix here in the US anyway. So I was like, fuck it. Now's a great time to watch it because it's on a streaming service and readily accessible. So I'm about nine episodes in. And so far, it's it's really, really good. It's a long one. It's 74 episodes. But people have spoken very highly about it for many, many years. And I love a good murder mystery um, and a good suspense show or anime. So I've been enjoying it a lot so far. Um, and I love the realistic approach it takes to some of the moments of conflict. I'm like trying not to spoil anything. Um, but if you've seen Monster, hopefully you kind of get what I'm, I'm trying to say about it. So yeah, Monster is really good so far. I've got a long, long way to go. But uh, I'll let everyone know my thoughts maybe after I've I've finished all 74 episodes. 74? 74. It's this a big one. This was a highly rated anime, though. Yeah. On Mal, it's ranked 25th of all time. Mm. Yeah, it's it's good so far. I really like it. Um, the only thing is I wish there was like a remastered version where it looked a little crisper. Because even on Netflix, it's, it's still like standard yeah. def where it looks a little fuzzy. But, you know, it is what it is. It came out, wait, in 2004. Oh. So that's actually not as old as I thought. (laughs) It looks older than I I think it it actually is. Yeah, because, you know, like sometimes if you leave your TV on Netflix, it'll have like a screensaver that shows some of its offerings. And I think, you know, just because the algorithm knows that our our accounts watch anime, um, Monster happened to show up as one of the screensavers. But the picture they used was very very pixelated and very grainy compared to the high def ones of of anime that have come out recently and it was stretched out because it needs to fill a widescreen but it's actually in standard def like when you when you watch it on netflix they kept it standard def which i'm happy about i'd rather see it in a square than see it stretched out and everyone look really weird and wide what about you i know you're watching an anime that i'm excited that you're watching (laughs) yes since you told me that you had started Akiba Made War, although you're just two episodes in from what we I'm getting there. I'm discussed. getting there. Yeah, I'm really engulfed recently. in Wolf's Reign and Monster <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, I returned the favor because I said if you watched Akiba Made War, I would watch More Than a Married Couple but Not Lovers. And that is exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, I'm four episodes in and... I think I've mentioned in the past that I've become wary of the rom-com anime that I should watch 
just because I've been so jaded by Aharen, uh, Shikimori, and what was the one? My ex-girlfriend. What was it? My my mother's stepdaughter is my ex or something yeah, like that. Yeah, my mother's my sister or something. Um, <laughs> but you said to give... Or no, my stepmom's daughter is my ex. Sorry, I yeah. realized I said something really <laughs> strange. <laughs> but you said to give more than a married couple but not lovers a chance, and so I did. Uh, obviously, it's a very odd premise where students are paired up and have to kind of live lives as a pretend married couple and so i guess it's this kind of otaku semi-otaku and this gyaru like almost the popular girl in school who are paired up and you know they go through the stages of adolescent love and feelings i guess uh it's, it's been an interesting watch i'll give it that although i feel like the animation quality has just been slowly dipping every episode um but yeah, the premise is more than enough to keep me interested compared to the other rom-com that I've recently seen. I know we talked about this in our anime first impressions episode for the season it came out in, which was fall 2022, mm -hmm. so fairly recently. But I shared my more in-depth thoughts on it for our patrons um, when we did our end of season review for fall 2022 on our Patreon and I shared that this was uh, a very unexpected hit for me. I went into it thinking that more than a married couple but not lovers would be the dumpster fire of fall 2022. And while it certainly has dumpster fire elements, it is etchy um, to a certain degree and it does have some like suggestive moments. It has such a strong underlying wholesomeness to it that I loved it. It was probably one of my favorites um, from last season. So I'm really excited that you're watching it. What would you say your thoughts are for episodes? And obviously it's very, very early, but are you enjoying it as much as I seem to, or is it still kind of growing on you or do you fucking hate it? I think it's still growing on me again, uh, just because I have that expectation with rom-coms. Although I'll say it kind of flips the script in how it deals with certain situations compared to how you've seen it in typical rom-coms. Like people or like the characters just, I guess the best way I can describe it is like characters just going for it rather than tiptoeing around feelings or emotions. Yeah, there's some like there's some bullshitting, but there's not nearly as much bullshitting as yeah. most anime romance uh like shows so i i did enjoy that too they're a little more straight to the point and i know that the male lead is like wrestling between two uh two love interests and i <laughs> that's where i'm kind of focused on is which one do i root for more because there's clearly Ooh. there's clearly one that the show wants you to root for which is akari but then i'm team akari I love her. I think she's great. <laughs> but then there's, the, the, you know, the childhood crush, which, what was her name? Like Shiro or something? Shiori. Shiori. I don't even remember her name, which that that feels like it, she would be a better fit for Jiro. So is that, that his name? Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess once all said and done, I'll see where I land on Team Akari or Team Shiori. Yeah, keep us posted. I want to know. I want to know your final thoughts when you finish it because I'm of the feeling that this deserves a season two and I don't know if we'll ever get one. I hope it doesn't end up with that 
that curse of most uh, anime romance one season situations where they're like, go read the manga if you want to know the rest of it. I hope we get more of the show. But anyway, I'm excited to see your final thoughts or hear your final thoughts when you've finished it. Let's move on to Mob Psycho 103. This is it. This concludes the Mob Psycho saga, the Mob Psycho story, I the believe. trilogy. I know. Anime form. <laughs> I, I think we all suspected that going into it, but it did feel pretty finite by the end of Mob Psycho 103. So I don't know if like the creator or anyone has come out and said like, yes, this is the official ending of Mob Psycho, or if it's just a what we're all inferring, um, you know, as as an anime community. But either way, it does feel pretty much finished. So with that, I mean, what are your initial thoughts, your your initial takeaways on the way that Mob seems to have closed out? I think first we should mention that there was a, you know, I, I know Chainsaw Man was all the rage at Crunchyroll Expo, but I think Mob Psycho 103 was like the next biggest thing at that convention when we attended yeah because we had tried to get into the panel where i think it was they had invited people who had worked on the the season to talk about it and and they even had a preview of the op which was exciting to it would have it would have been exciting to be at the premiere of that but there was just too long of a line to try and get into that stage we got rejected at the door well we didn't even make it to the door we got rejected <laughs> at the end of the line <laughs> so i think we ended up going to a, a, a premiere of another show it was maybe it was inspector that we ended up watching yeah it was the first two episodes of inspector season two yeah which was it was also exciting to be part of that even though i slept you through took it. a nap which is fine you never watched season yeah. one so i don't blame you um so yeah Crunchyroll Expo, there was a lot of hype surrounding uh, One Punch. <laughs> one Punch. One Punch. <laughs> I, was, I don't know why I thought one. Uh, Same creator, wrong, yeah. wrong anime. <laughs> uh, let me rephrase. It was exciting to be just part of the, the hype around uh, Mob Psycho 103. And I think I even ran across a really good cosplay of Mob and Dimple if I can find that photo, I can share it on the Discord uh, because the guy, he he had, I don't know if he was wearing a wig that just looked like Mob, but even... I think it was his, his real hair. He was just like a very plain looking kid and it was great. It was perfect for Mob. Yeah, he had the he had the right stature, the right look on his face, and then he had a, I think it was like a coat hanger that had a little uh, cardboard cutout of Dimple hanging from him. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was a brilliant cosplay. Um, so all these things that you know, got me pretty excited for season three of Mob Psycho 100. Uh, but to focus on this season, I thought it was very good. No more, no less. I don't think it was great, but at the same time, I don't think it was disappointing. Do you kind of feel the same way? Yes. Um, and we'll share our more in-depth thoughts at the end of this episode when we share our final rating as well for this season. But high level, I would say this was a very safe and comfortable way to end the show. Mm -hmm. Is that good? Is that bad? We'll talk more about that, I think, when we go through the episodes. But yeah, it, it felt um, it felt safe in a way where it wasn't pushing the boundaries like season two and therefore... I feel like it was 
it was like, I don't know, like it was not middle of the road by any means, but if I'm comparing it to other seasons, it feels like just the, the most comfy of the three seasons. Yeah. I mean, there was significant conflict in this season involving Dimple and the Divining Tree. And I think in our Fall Impressions episode, I had thought, or I'd said that I, this is probably what this season's going to focus on. Like if, if Dimple... I know you call him Echable, and the the, the sub version calls him Echable, but you know Dimple, like he would be Mob's main foe in the season, but then that kind of gets resolved in the first couple episodes, and then there's Mob's psycho persona emerging in the finale, which is also a a, a big part of the season. But even with those arcs, it didn't feel like season three was reaching like the lofty heights as past seasons did especially with the claw organization involved. But the more I thought of it, I think that's the point of the show. It's that it's not meant to be one of the many self-insert anime series out there that have these epic battles and, and grandstanding. In a way, I guess it's trying to subvert expectations. And in those cases, I think this season did help to focus more on Mob's own growth rather than depicting him as this prototypical OP, be-all, end-all protagonist. Yeah, I, okay, so I, I think that this season, again, played it safe in a lot of ways. I think it was satisfying in the sense that, like, you got to see all the characters who have played a significant role in Mob's life um, up until this point. But I also kind of wish that it took things Further, because coming off of season two, you had a lot at stake, um, and it—I I, like—we didn't know what to expect for season three. I think we even talked about that in our season two review, our Mob Psycho mm -hmm. 102 review, that we had no clue where we were going next. It left us with a giant broccoli, and that was it. So, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, where where does this go from here? Um, so, we got our answer for sure. It's just, I think, a little unexpected, and I I both like and dislike some of the choices for season three. And again, I'll, I'll share more about that when we actually go through the episodes because I think it's good to kind of tackle them in pieces. But I will, I will say the animation has continued to look better and better and better every season. Mm -hmm. There was an episode in this, uh, this third season that looked a bit interesting. Yeah. It looked very different. But overall, the animation looked smooth and clean and just like very well thought out and i've noticed this progression of animation in mob psycho where season one had probably it was still great animation but had probably some of the less clean looking shots but had some of the most artistic shots as well some of the most unique shots where they were really like pushing the boundary on like animation style and just like bringing all these random animation styles together in a way that was very cohesive Season two, we saw an improvement in animation quality, but then I think we got less of those moments of like really wild, very interesting, um, you know, artistic styles that would come together. And I think that progression continued in season three, where the animation e looks even smoother than it did in season two. But I felt like we had far less of those moments of like, really unique art styles that would pop in, especially during like fight scenes. And I, I, I like it and I don't. Like I like that the animation quality improved over every season, but I kind of wish that they kept some of the more unique looking animation moments because that made Mob feel very different than a lot of other 
anime which use the exact same style across the entire show. I think I, I, I'll be honest, I don't think I really noticed that. I just know that uh, Mob Psycho has that unique sort of sketchbook style. I, I think it, it's been pretty consistent throughout each season, um, mixed in with, you know, like the the spectrum of colors that always appear whenever something super, supernatural happens. Um, so uh, maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll say that there were a few hiccups in animation for this season compared to the previous seasons, but I think for the most part, I was content with the visuals that I was getting, um, especially because I think Bones, Studio Bones, was working on this and my hero season six which both came out this past fall season though i'm seeing on wikipedia here that they split it up between bones studio b working on mob psycho 103 and then bones studio c working on my hero so there was another point of interest with mob psycho 103 which was the uh the drama related to reagan's voice actor and whether or not that would impact this season clearly it didn't same voice actor for Reagan. I don't have his name on hand. Do you have it? It's Takahiro Sakurai, who's also done roles like Rohan in Jojo Part 4, Giyu in Demon Slayer, so, and of course Reagan in Mob. So a lot of prominent roles in anime. So yeah, we weren't sure, like, is he going to continue that role with this final season? I'm I'm glad he did, only for continuity's sake. I think it would be so strange to have an entirely different voice actor for this finale season, especially when Reagan is a very important character to the, to the show. Um, whether or not he, you know, the voice actor deserves that, given all the drama in his personal life and whatnot, I don't know, that's, that's everyone, they can make their own opinion on that. But I was happy to at least have consistency in this um in this case and i'm guessing maybe because well actually i don't know i don't know the production schedule so i, I don't know if like he would have recorded all of this before the drama even hit or mm-hmm. if you recorded it during the drama because the contract was already signed who knows but either way um we got our answer that he did continue doing the voice of reagan i think he did a good job for reagan um we'll just see what the future holds for him uh with this this news yeah just for context it was basically that um it was discovered that Takahiro Sakurai was involved in an extramarital affair, um, even though he had just only revealed that he was married to someone, uh, like a retired voice actress. Uh, and so it just became this whole thing. I'm sure you can find articles about it on the internet if you're, if you're interested. There was also a little bit of drama in the dub sphere for Mob Psycho 103, and that's pertaining to the original voice actor for the protagonist, Mob, Kyle McCarley. Um, he had a dispute with Crunchyroll where they ended up not renewing his contract due to some union issues or union negotiations. Uh, so I, I believe there's an uncredited voice actor that is serving as McCarley's replacement. Uh, you know there there are articles out there that you can read regarding this this issue but i think you know as a viewer it would be great to see an, an iconic role being played by the same actor throughout its entirety uh but you know sometimes there are just things that come up where that isn't always the case so it's just another thing 
that just uh, another voice acting incident that has i won't say like shadowed mob psycho 103 but just another thing that's part of it's it's saga i guess yeah so the reason we bring it up is just because it's interesting that there were two notable things going on one on the dub side one on the sub side with voice actors particularly for mob psycho but it is what it is i do have one quick question before we jump into our our in-depth review um what happened to that one antagonist who I think was from season one. Let me paint the picture because you know I'm terrible with names and I can't find the character name right now. It's the the part where Reagan and Mob go to that place where all of these psychics come out to try to exercise that one like dude's daughter. I don't know if he was like a mafia dude or like he had a company or something, but someone of, of notable stature, like the daughter was possessed and... Mm-hmm. They, like all those psychics came out to try and exercise her but then it turns out like the ghost that was possessing her was actually a very very strong ghost of a former psychic or like he was a psychic when he was alive and then like he he's the one that um trapped mob in that like mental state and tried to like you know mentally and physically break him down um until he was able to break out because ekubo was the one who saved him does that all ring a bell I yeah, don't remember that, was, that fucking uh, guy's name. What was his name? That was season two. I think you're talking about Mogami. Yes. Yeah. What happened to him? Where'd he go? He didn't show up in season three. I was expecting him to, but he never showed up. Um. Didn't his story get resolved at the in the final battle of season two? Kinda. Like he showed up, but I don't. I didn't feel like it did. Maybe I missed something. <laughs> um. Sorry. I'm. I'm looking at a synopsis from a Mob Psycho wiki. I think it says Mogami vanishes, leaving nothing but a large tree in his absence. His whereabouts after this incident are unknown, although Dimple suspects Mogami passed on for good. So I think it it was the the was it the broccoli tree that or was it just a regular tree? I don't remember. I don't know. I thought the broccoli <laughs> grew because of Mob's like power explosion when he faced off against the big baddie from season two at the end. Hmm. Okay. So yeah, I think Mogami's just dead and gone okay as far well as we that know. answers it i mean i was kind of confused maybe i missed like a, a moment that led to like what would have led us to to see that his story had come to a conclusion at least in mob but yeah i was wondering like when is he gonna show up in season three because everyone's everyone's here it's like fucking smash bros everyone everyone's here um except for him so yeah that's fine that clarifies it and as usual We'll start off with our discussion of the OP and ED before we get into the nitty-gritty of this anime. Uh, so OP-wise, as I mentioned before, this had premiered at Crunchyroll Expo, uh, but the song is One by Mob Choir, which is a very interesting evolution of the OPs for Mob Psycho because I believe it started as the number 99, and then season two had the number 99.9, but then here it just has one instead of going to what would have been, I would I think people expected 100. But I think there's a, a meaningful reason behind why this song is called one. Um, talking about it music composition wise, it's that sort of orchestra rock anthem. And I'll say this is probably my second favorite OP out of Mob Psycho. Um, you know, you have that like, I don't know if it's a bass or just that, guitar riff in the beginning that almost sounds like the riff from the song Miserlu by Dick Dale 
Are you familiar with that? Uh, I don't know. I'm bad with titles. What does it sound like? It's from Pulp. If you... If you're familiar with Pulp Fiction, it's like the yeah, just that running bass or guitar that keeps the pace of the song moving at a frantic pace. And then visuals wise, you have I know I've said the OPs from Op Cycle have been psychedelic in the past. This one I would say is kind of eclectic, has a little tinge of psychedelic, but just. All of these things that happen in your face at various times. And I'm specifically remembering there was one moment where it looked like that. You know that eye, lip, eye emoji that people will sometimes put? Yeah. Like there was a moment of that happening, I think, towards the end, um, which I think throughout this OP, it has various faces, kind of like jumbled faces, and you're putting them together of the characters from the show and then there's one that's trying to put together a mob um, and then i think the ending visual is like the mob cycle logo mixed with images from past seasons but going back to the name of the song i think it's significant because it's kind of insinuating that there might be all of these different facets of mob but there's only there one and only one mob this idea of all these aspects of mob being crucial to his one true self. Yeah, I got that sense as well, especially with the finale where the two separate mobs accept each other and become one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that that was a, a good choice, unexpected choice, but a good choice for a song title. I would say of the three OPs, the first OP song is my favorite. So I like 99 the best. Um, and I would say visually, the second OP, 99.9, had the best visuals. I still really enjoy this OP all around. I love the intensity it has because it has far more intensity, I'd say, than the first two songs. I think those were a little more fun, not like bright necessarily, but a little more upbeat. And this one has, like you said, like some of that driving force behind it. And I love that one. Actually, there's two images that I love in this OP. The first one is where Mob's berserk form is kind of just like walking like towards the screen. He's like far in the distance, but he's walking and everything around him is just destroyed. There's something so smooth and satisfying about the way they animated that. I love watching that part. And the other is when, um, you know, when Reagan is at spin point. At the, t- at the start of the oh, chorus. Yeah. Then the next one is Mob doing his little his like little spin. Twirl. He has twirl with his hand <laughs> sticking out. I don't know. I just love that. I think it's so funny watching the two of them do that. I think that's my s- second favorite visual from this OP where Mob's doing the, the, little the twirl. twirl. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the final shot where Mob, you see a young Mob growing up into a Oh shit, I forgot about mob. that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that too. I think that's super sentimental. Um, Just showing like the... Mom, the mob the day that he met reagan growing up over the years to him now um and reagan just like slowly standing up acknowledging i think in a way that mob has grown up um since the day they, that they first met so the, i don't know that's sort of like a really nice way to end the op and i think that just contributes to the finality that seems prevalent throughout this season because i think this probably is the last we'll see of mob psycho 100 so to end on such a such a significant image of the two main characters of the show mob and reagan kind of acknowledging each other and seeing how much each of them has grown um just it's kind of like the capstone to this whole series 
Then you have the ED, and there's actually two for this season, um, but I'll talk specifically about the prominent one, which is called Cobalt by Mob Choir. The second ED, which is a little bit more somber, it was used for episodes four and six. That's specifically the Divine Tree arc. That one was called Exist, also by Mob Choir. Um, I would say with this ED, Cobalt, it's typical anime rock, and it has that same visual style of the sketchbook, or I think it's actually called paint on glass visuals that we saw with the other EDs from Mob Psycho. And this one, it's focusing on his daily routine, but you notice that it's a lot of shades of blue. And just a fun fact, this ED was done by the key animator, Mio Sato, who had worked on those previous EDs that were known for this paint-on-glass visual style. Lyrics-wise, I think this ED is a sort of reflection on the kind of person Mob wants to be. Um, Just pulling from the chorus, translated lyrics say, It's an unfinished future, draw it with these own hands. I can even prove my existence in this world. It's stuck in the middle of my heart. Cobalt blue is overflowing in it. So I think this use of colors where most of the ED starts off in these shades of blue, or I guess cobalt, ending with the range of colors when you see Mob running along that road and it's a spectr- like a whole colorful spectrum, kind of represents how his world will not be defined by just one characteristic. And I think the cobalt shades are kind of representing how he feels like it's his powers that have defined him. But towards the end, it's like he's reached this sort of nirvana that it's all of these characteristics and all of these traits that you have that really represent who you are. I feel the same way about this ED as I did with the first and second ED. I just think it's it's good. It's uh, it's unique. <laughs> And, that ED was good. <laughs> and yeah, like it it's not anything that resonated with me because it has it follows that same theme as the last two. So my opinion has not changed. I don't think it's bad, but I, I think it's just it's solid and it's nothing more than that. So I actually don't have much to say about it. Yeah, I mean it's there are plenty of hidden meetings behind this ED, but I don't think it was significant enough, at least for me, to to put on our Spotify playlist. But it's it's a good ED. All right, Strictly fam, say your broccoli-filled prayers because we're about to dive into our synopsis and discussion for Mob Psycho 103, the 2022 anime adaptation of the manga series created by One. Produced by Bones and directed by Yuzuru Tachikawa, the third season follows middle school esper Shigeo Kageyama, a.k.a. Mob, as he continues to reconcile his super-psychic psycho powers with his future endeavors in an attempt to lead as normal of a life as possible. In episode 1, Future Career Paths, One Punch Mob has gone psycho, but it's over a school assignment where he must determine a viable career path for his future. Should he be a magician? Salaryman? Religious cult leader? As he ponders the loaded question, Reagan brings Mob along on a client assignment that feels like an episode of Hoarders, though our ho-hum hero has learned to just go with the flow when it comes to what lies ahead. And speaking of a head, Dimple rears his own ugly ghostly one as he nestles atop the big bad broccoli, planning out a future that may not be so bright. 
We're right back at it. I love when an anime does this, where two seasons are so close together in terms of where they land in the timeline. Apparently, season three is happening only days after the end of season two. I fucking mm-hmm. love that. It's great, because then you don't feel like you missed out on anything or you have to catch up on anything. Yeah, I think the character Mizato, the school journalist, mentions that the, the attack that happened with the broccoli was just the other day. So... Yeah, I think it's straight into it uh, with this first episode. And here we see Mob concerned about his future and concerned that while he hasn't made a mistake in his life yet, that that day will come. And when he when it does, um, he won't be able to recover from that. So this has been a running theme for Mob Psycho since season one, that there's something Mob is afraid of in the future. There's something that he's bracing mm. for that he may not be able to control. I think we all know what's going to happen at the end of the season and, and what they've been foreshadowing this whole time. But I, I'm glad that they infused that reminder in this first episode because that whole thing has not gone away. Okay. I didn't pick that up or pick up on that. I think more so I was thinking like these are sort of the thoughts running through a middle schooler's head when you have assignments. And I'm sure we've had assignments like this in school where it talks about like what do you want to do in the future? And it's such a a really loaded question that obviously mob is is wrestling with it and he kind of incorporates it with what he's doing in his client assignment with Reagan and Serizawa where he kind of empathizes with that hoarder because it also has that sense of directionlessness so I think it, it can kind of go either way with how he's interpreting this assignment I completely agree I think it's um it's on the surface it's it's mob as a middle schooler being tasked with thinking about something that is probably way beyond what he needs to be thinking about at that point in his life. It's always good to think about the future in general, but to like make decisive choices for your future when you're only in junior high or middle school, um, that's a lot to ask somebody that young. So I think it is, on again, on the surface, it's him thinking like, okay, I have to think about my future, but what does my future hold? I think the subtext is that it's hinting at his ongoing fear of what could happen in the future if he doesn't get his shit together and and i think that's more in terms of like his powers yeah and i think that also goes in line with mizato i think she implies to mob that he would be a good candidate for this cycle helmet religion that's sort of taking over the town and i think it's been established in previous seasons that mob doesn't want his powers to be the focal point of what people think about him um and that that sort of comes into play even more because, you know, Dimple's back in the picture and he's sort of wrestling with this opportunity for him where he can go back to his goal, which was to kind of rule above everybody. And so he, he kind of takes this to his own advantage, as we'll see when the Divine Triarch comes up. And when Mob's kind of talking about this this idea of thinking about his future and whatnot, uh, when he's at the the office, he tells Reagan that he can't promise he'll work at his office forever. And Reagan responds saying, of course, you shouldn't worry about that kind of thing or think like that and do what feels best for you in your future. And I like the moment where it hints that uh, Reagan feels that meeting Mob changed his life, which I think it did. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it very much did. And 
while Reagan will always be Reagan with his questionable personality, um, he looks after Mob in his own way. He's never been a direct person. He's never been a direct character in the way he expresses himself because he's a con man. He needs to hide behind that facade at all times. He needs to hide behind that lie. And so this is this is this is significant for the ending, which we'll, we'll of course talk in depth about where Reagan is more upfront with Mob probably for the first time. But it is nice to know that at least in, internally, Reagan recognizes that Mob is a big factor in his life. In episode two, yokai hunter Amakusa Haruaki appears, the threat of a hundred demons. One Punch Mob moves on to freaking out about how to handle this Bunkasai episode. Though freakier things are afoot in his latest assignment with Reagan and Serizawa, where they assist a yokai hunter in eliminating the threat of a hundred demons that are taking literal roots in the city. Mob takes inspiration from the incident to contribute a lackluster villain to his class's haunted house. But I'm sure a dimple-faced villain lies just beyond the haunted horizon. I just noted that you kept laughing at this new character when we were watching this episode. Oh yeah, it was it was a stupid episode. I mean, like, yeah, the, the character's getup was just ridiculous. And I like that. I think he's a, a member of a wealthy family and they're kind of funding his lifestyle, um, even though, you know, I don't think he's he's built for this kind of work. Um, so I think this was just representative of one of those goofier episodes of Mom. It was just a fun a fun moment before the Ekubo start stuff started uh, to to unfold. Especially because Mob's not taking. I mean, he's taking the situation seriously, but he's so much more focused. Kind of like in the last episode where he was just thinking about his future. Here, he's just trying to think up ideas for how to help his class's theme for the Bunkasai excel. Um, and I know there are underlying tones of like the divine tree and how its power is starting to grow. And maybe that's part of like a hint to Dimple going back to his antagonistic ways. But yeah, overall, this was just a fun episode. In episode three, getting carried away 100%. After he saves Subomi from a snot-filled snafu and mingling with Mizato about a meeting of mystical members, one Punch Mob finds himself in quite the center of attention and is too blinded by his sudden popularity and his obnoxiously outrageous monkey shirt to notice that Dimple's been up to no good. In a completely separate and unrelated incident, someone's been scheming to serve as the superior savior of the Psycho Helmet sect. Something says that it'll sap the spirit out of a society of serious suckers. So the episode is titled Getting Carried Away. And I feel like that's directed at Mob, but also Ekubo, because Mob calls his ass out on wanting to become the religious leader and to gain power and to control all these people. So Mob's getting carried away with his ego and thinking like, this is my, I don't know what he called it, like his, his time to shine. He's, he's popular. You this know, is where he gets like the handsome Squidward face. Yeah, and yeah. all the girls are looking at him. Whatever. He's going through his popular phase or whatever. He's obviously getting carried away with that. Um, but Ekobo is getting carried away with his desire to take advantage of the broccoli situation. In episode four, Divine Tree 1, the founder appears. One Punch Mob begins to notice that everyone in town is acting like they're from some B-movie horror cult film 
a peculiarity which he and Reagan trace back to the big bad broccoli and the growing influence of the psycho-helmet religion, confirmed by Teru in resonance to be led in proxy by none other than the devilishly debonair Dimple. Resolving to yeet the violent vegetable into space, Reagan too falls under its sulfuric spell on their way to the tree, leaving Mob to go it alone and navigate through the mob of manipulated minds in his convenient psycho-helmet cosplay. So there's obviously some brainwashing going on here as the broccoli's power grows, the divine tree's power grows, and um, the the leader, which we all know is Ekobo, um, is trying to suck up everyone's essence and get them to uh, blindly follow the broccoli. But Mob looks really stressed when Ritsu gets brainwashed because, of course, he's worried about his brother. But he looks equally as stressed when Reagan gets brainwashed because that's his mentor who's supposed to be stronger than he is. And his mentor is no longer on his side. And now Mob is left alone as the last person in the city to not be brainwashed and is now tasked with doing everything that he thought the group of them would be taking on. And, you know, Mob, Mob can step up to the plate, but oftentimes he... Um, he like undersells his own abilities. Um, so I don't think being put in the spotlight or being put, uh, having all these things on his shoulders are really what he enjoys. So his, his stressed out face definitely makes sense for this. Which is interesting because I know they're all brainwashed, but it's like with these people, um, I know the cycle helmet religion was claiming to give everyone a place where they can belong, but here it's like they have no individual personality they're just focused on this one religion and it's kind of like what mob is striving for in wanting to be a part of normal society but then he ends up being the only one that can save people from this monotony yeah that's a good point and it kind of transitions when it reveals the episode reveals that Ekubo is behind all of this stuff and i think it's hanazawa is the one that finds him first and mm -hmm. uh, realizes what's going on and ekobo tells hanazawa that he's been laying low with mob but that his ultimate goal has to become basically a modern god which makes me go back to all of the times when we when we talked about mob psycho season one and two where we questioned ekobo's true intentions mm -hmm. So Ekobo's always shown this pattern since season one of almost betraying Mob, but then helping him in the end. But it's always hard to tell if Ekobo is helping him because he cares about Mob or because he's trying to win Mob's trust or maybe use Mob for his master plan. He's always sat in that gray area, and we've constantly brought that up. So now I think we're starting to see some clarity around that. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of like how Reagan's been using Mob, but obviously with Dimple or Ekobo, it's with more nefarious means. Although it's interesting how this arc wraps up with the way that Mob decides to resolve his row with Dimple. And I think it also extends to some of the the themes we'll see at the end of the season where everyone has multiple sides to them, but you have to just accept every side of you, whether you like it or not. Ekobo is showing multiple sides. Reagan has shown multiple sides. Um, so now we're just getting more of like Ekobo's, you know, true intentions, I guess. In episode five, Divine Tree 2, Peace, 
Inside the Big Bad Broccoli, One Punch Mob discovers that Dimple is indeed the derivation of these demonic developments, who gives the psychical student a Bond villain speech on why he should join in on the metaphysical fun. Mob refuses the offer, resulting in a dimple-slinging match that sets our ho-hum hero's psycho level at 100% when his fucked-up fashion sense is rudely insulted. Mob is extremely distraught over being betrayed by Ekubo because Mob cares about Ekubo. Ekubo has become one of his friends. Even throughout this fight sequence, which is very well animated, he keeps giving Ekubo multiple chances. He keeps asking him why he's doing this. He keeps letting Ekubo beat him up without really fighting back. He wants to believe in Ekubo and get him back on the right path. And so it was, it's almost hard to watch this type of fight sequence because you want them to go at it. You know that Mob could easily destroy Ekobo, even though Ekobo has absorbed all of this power. Mm-hmm. But that's just not what Mob, Mob wants to do. Mob wants to save his friend. He doesn't want to destroy his friend. So he's in a, a, in a very difficult spot throughout this fight. I can't even almost call it a fight. I feel like it's very one-sided. It's just Ekobo going at Mob. You know what this is like? It's like in Pokemon, the first movie, where the real Pikachu gets keeps getting slapped by the clone Pikachu. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, one side is not trying to engage in any conflict, although Dimple is constantly egging Mob to join him by his side because, like, living in admiration of all these people, you would kind of assume that with the episode where Mob gains popularity. This is the kind of recognition that Mob wants. But morally, of course, this isn't the right path. And it's here it's just Mob trying to talk a friend down from doing something stupid. And then that friend does something stupid at the end when he just mocks his monkey shirt. And then that's what's supposed to set Mob off at um, his 100%, I guess, psycho level. Yeah, that was so funny. I was like, you watch his... his- berserk percentage whatever you call it rising throughout this episode and it doesn't hit 100 percent until ekubo blasts his jacket off sees his monkey shirt and calls it lame and then you you see like the moments of like reagan trying really hard to get mob to cover it up without being too direct um you have that from the last episode or you have those moments where like ritsu was like oh that's a nice shirt <laughs> ekubo was like what the fuck are you wearing and it just sets him off and then that's where the ep- episode ends you like don't know where it goes from there um but i do like the way it goes at the start of the next episode yeah because ekubo's dimple ekubo's um comment about this shirt is what drives him to reconcile with mob it's just funny that this stupid comment is is what brings this fight to a close. Uh, I know I mentioned Pikachu before, but was it the great god Dimple, Dimple's final form? Looks like a fucking buff Pikachu yeah. without the tail and ears because <laughs> he's got the cheeks and he's all yeah. like yellowy golden. It's It was hard for me to unsee that. Yeah, just seeing Dimple back in a human form, physical form, it's kind of jarring. And yeah, I don't think this is what, a god <laughs> should look like if if you want to be worshipped as a god. In episode 6, Divine Tree 3, Dimple is, despite his monkey shirt-induced outburst, One Punch Mob ends up just blowing off steam and uses the power of friendship to win Dimple over in putting an end to the manipulative mayhem. However, the Big Bad Broccoli begins to sprout more heads of Psycho Helmets. 
leading Dimple to make a sacrifice play in order to save Mob and yeet the vindictive vegetable into outer space. For this is one leafy green you definitely should not include in your diet. I was going to say the same thing. Only Mob could literally use the power of friendship to overcome a situation or to overcome a foe. And it was great. I, I think as tropey as that is, I think that was a fantastic outcome for this Ekobo arc. Mob knows that Ekobo doesn't want to hurt him. He knows a lot about Ekobo because Ekobo's been the only one like truly honest with Mob. He, I think he says that. He's like, you're one of the only people who's honest with me about my ugly shirt. Yeah. Like he just says it how it is. He even tells Mob, I think at times, that Tsubomi-chan is really out of his league. But then Mob apologizes to Ekobo for not listening to him more and recognizing that even as a spirit, like Ekobo still has dreams and aspirations and promises to listen to him more. And I don't know, like it, it may feel like a cop out to others, but this this solution to this problem feels right for Mob, in my opinion. Um, for him to resolve a conflict in this way instead of some flashy 1v1 fight it just makes sense because he does genuinely care about Ekobo. He wants to save everybody. He's not about violence. He doesn't even like using his powers against other people. So while he could have exercised Ekobo back in season one, he decided to spare him and kind of make him a part of his life. Why would he suddenly decide to destroy Ekobo here in season three when they've built a bond over three seasons? It's it's interesting that Mob and Dimple's relationship was sort of brought about with Mob's powers as a, a catalyst. But yeah, here we're expected to see Mob lash out in his 100% form against Dimple, but he just lets that fizz out and lets friendship, like an act of friendship take over. I think it was just because, again, like Mob, like you said, was apologizing for not realizing Dimple was getting carried away and trying to reel him back in. But I think just Mob saying that he was happy to see Dimple achieving his goal was the thing that Dimple truly desires because he realizes he is a god now, but it's he doesn't know what to do with himself because it's kind of just boring up there. He genuinely just wanted a friend the whole time. Right. And going back to that ambiguity and, and questioning Ekobo over the last three seasons, we can finally say at this point, he is a real one. While we've wondered, you know, what's Ekobo's true intention with Mob? What's he going to do with Mob? Here, he sacrifices himself not only to protect Mob, but to protect everyone by removing the broccoli, um, which had at that point basically become sentient. And he saved Mob in a way that causes Mob the least amount of emotional trauma which is like really great, but also really sad because he hides the truth from Mob by brainwashing him and getting him to get himself up and out of the broccoli. But he covers the fact that like his body's totally damaged. Because he's he says he's able to brainwash Mob at this point. Yes, because Mob's powers have been sucked out of his body. So this made me think about what happened when he went 100%. I was like, how how... Come this time, Mob doesn't go berserk when he hit 100% versus every other time. But I think it's because he allowed the broccoli to absorb his powers. Mm -hmm. So it prevented him from becoming berserk. But because the broccoli absorbed all his powers, he's super weak right now, which is a great opportunity for Ekobo to brainwash him to Mob's benefit and get his ass out of there. 
So this is a bit of foreshadowing then to just how berserk and powerful mob psycho form is if the psycho form is being absorbed by this tree and this tree is becoming increasingly sinister. Yeah, like the fact that the broccoli became sentient based on, I, I think is because it, it absorbed mob's power shows exactly that, that mob has an insane amount of power. It was kind of sad though that, you know, I think mob was kind of aware something was happening because he kept looking back at Dimple. But you see Dimple, I think in his, in brainwashing mob, he made him look at himself in his ghostly form and he has that nice little wave <laughs> yeah it was it was really sad but yeah. very very sweet and mm -hmm. then of course mob cries at the end when he realizes that ekobo is gone because he's been gone for a while and they haven't been able to find him or is he gone? yeah yeah well <laughs> we'll get to that so overall i think this episode six was incredibly meaningful between mob and ekobo and i liked the way this was resolved again whether or not someone else might feel like it's it's an easy way out i think it was very appropriate in episode 7, Transmission 1, Winter Break, with Seasoning City simmering down into the season of Santa-san, Telepathy Club president Tomei makes it known that her club has been shit at their one goal of trying to talk to aliens before she graduates. So with the help of One Punch Mob and a cameo by the psychic Wonder Twins from season 1, former club member Takenaka is summoned as a secret telepath leading the group to convince Tomei to join their cosmic caravan on New Year's Eve with Reagan as their chaperone. And let me tell you, it's going to be out of this world. Truthfully, this episode and the next episode were just okay. Um, they seem kind of fillery or something. I don't know, like this, this little telepathy club arc. I feel like it was a way to acknowledge the club that Mob was originally a part of, even though he moved to the Body Improvement Club. But I did like how uh, they brought back Takenaka, because I think he was there in season one. And I like that Mob was able to get through to him about sometimes hating his own powers, but accepting them because they're a part of him. It's just ironic that he said that to Takenaka, because then what happens at the end when Mob goes berserk is because he's not fully accepting his powers. Yeah, I think that was the kind of blink and you'll miss moment of this episode where you have to think, does Mob take his own words to Takanaka, <laughs> Takanaka to heart? Um, but yeah, as you said, we'll find out soon enough that Mob really hasn't reconciled with his powers as being part of his personality. Um Honestly, I didn't even remember this character from season one because I think he he's. Just... I was looking at the the cast list from season one a little bit ago, and I think his name showed up. <laughs> no, yeah, because I think there's a flashback to a moment in season one where he ends up ditching the the club, and like secretly it was because he realized none of them were actually telepaths. Yeah. So he couldn't. It wasn't like a telepaths anonymous group for him. Um, but yeah, I, I, the rest of this episode is. You know, I, th I think it's noble that the, the club is trying to fulfill uh, Tomei's wish. Um, but, yeah, this arc is, is kind of out there. Uh, I do like how this eye catch, you know, there are a lot of interesting eye catches in this season. But with this one, because they're, they're doing the test with the high-pitched noise to summon telepaths, and you can see it affecting other characters who aren't involved in this episode, especially uh, Reagan and Sarazawa. And then there's a cameo. Well, it 
Reagan is unaffected. Oh, right. right. Sadie Zawa reacts to it, and then Reagan's just sitting there like, what? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And then the cameo of the other child espers from season one, uh, the, the twins in this episode were a part of, they're also getting affected by the high-pitched noise. Um, so, yeah. I think this episode, it was great that it had these cameos from season one, especially from characters that we haven't seen. And I think throughout this season, we saw cameos of other characters especially former members of claw there's the, the guy who was running the flower shop and then later the two espers that were running the corn beanie but i don't know it was just like you're just putting him in there just to remind us that they're still part of this universe is are they really any or do they really play any significant part yeah, we'll talk more about that when we get to the Mob Berserk arc because that is something that um, I I feel is very prevalent in those episodes. In episode eight, Transmission 2, Encountering the Unknown, what did I tell you? Despite some hiccups along the way, the telepathy club is literally taken out of this world and into one filled with uwu aliens who show them a grand old galactic time on New Year's Eve. Because in a world filled with psychics who can level whole city blocks, being abducted by aliens should be the least surprising thing to witness. What the hell was this episode? Was there like a guest animator or director? Because this felt totally different than any other Mob Psycho episode, both in storytelling and in animation. It was like so uplifting, high-spirited, and almost like slice-of-life tropey for a Mob episode. And I don't know. It was just, it, it felt completely different than anything we have gotten before after it you're saying it's filler i mean yeah these last two episodes yeah seven and eight are kind of fillery in in my opinion they, they felt kind of fillery like just kind of checking off the box like here's the conclusion with the telepathy club yeah and maybe the way that this episode was drawn very oddly is supposed to complement the extraterrestrial nature of this episode but it was just really wonky i know there was a lot of rotoscoping but it's just felt like there were unfinished character designs because of how plain mob looked how tome looked there were some moments where they didn't even have any facial features if they were far yeah. enough back in the distance they just had a face a blank face yeah just a drastic change from what we've seen in this series uh, so it's kind of like that episode of Guren Lagan that just sticks out like a sore thumb. The end part was random, but I had a feeling they were going to go that direction with some like weird situation after everything was so happy-go-lucky and everything panned out so nicely. You know, you, the one guy, Inu, Inukawa, is that his name? Yeah. He gets abducted and becomes like this god that they worship, this deity that they worship, and then finally he gets to go home, but then his eyes are all changed. It was... It was random. It was funny, um, but I kind of figured like they were gonna do something like that. At least they kept the continuity of that in the final episode. But that's all you really get from this episode is that he he comes back and he's he's got the uwu eyes. In episode nine, Mob One moving, One Punch Mob dishearteningly learns that his childhood crush Subomi Homi is leaving their school and leaving him all alone. So after getting sound insight from some of his clueless peers, Mob decides to confess his feelings for her, as expected from any prepubescent student 
who has a good idea about what the word love means. But in an unexpected turn of events, the psychical student is nearly isekai'd after saving a cat and a kid from truck-coon. Though I hope that vehicle got insurance from Geico, because this mob is about to go psycho. So here's where the... I guess you could say episode seven and eight were already kind of doing this, but here's where you start getting the cameos. I'm going to call them cameos. It's the highlighting of all the supporting characters who have played some significant part in the mob psycho story in previous seasons. They're just showing us that they still exist. They're just reminding us that they were a part of the story because most of the episode was mob asking various people for advice on confessing to Subomi. There was nothing like super concrete in this episode besides the ending with him getting hit by the car. So this is where I start to feel like we're just planting in characters that showed up at one point in the story, um, but not giving them something significant to do. Yeah, although I feel like Subomi should be the most significant character to cameo in this part because she's very much linked with the story of like why mob has wanted to suppress his powers for so long um and then him having this moment to confess his feelings to her uh is i think you know that's just part of you know the thoughts that run through a young person's head when it comes to like how to process these kinds of emotions especially those around a childhood crush but like i think he learns through this situation that he's going to face that he really needs to come to terms with why it is that he didn't like he wanted to suppress his powers with subomi and whether or not that was a positive thing for his life thinking a little bit more on like the cameos that happened starting with like this episode in particular this is why I, I said in the beginning that I felt like the final season played it safe and it just did things in a comfy way. It was, again, like, it, it's, I don't know, it's using this episode as an opportunity to show us, again, all of the characters that have shown up in, in Mob Psycho um, in a way to make it feel finite, in a way to kind of bring closure to some of their, it's maybe not bringing closure to some of their stories, but it's at least showing us that they at one point existed in this universe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, th this is one of the major reasons I feel like season three was just sort of that like nice bow that they were wrapping around Mob Psycho. Because you're not going to be sitting here at the end of the um, season wondering, well, I wonder whatever happened with this character. I wonder whatever happened with this character because they didn't show up in the season. They were just like checking all the boxes. They're like, run them through really quick. One after the other. Let's get all the characters in here and show people, um, show them on screen at some point. One unexpected cameo, though, was of One Punch Man, Saitama himself. We've seen that before, though. I think he's been Mob's phone background in other seasons. Oh, he has. I think Maybe so, I yeah. Maybe I just didn't remember it, but... Okay, Let's well, see it again. <laughs> yeah, because, of, of course, the creator of Mob Psycho 1 is also the creator of One Punch Man. Is that also why they named the OP song 1? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> In episode 10, Mob 2, Rival, One Punch Mob fortunately regains consciousness after the collision, but unfortunately he is stuck in his Super Saiyan Psycho persona and begins a GTA rampage across town despite his soul's best efforts to hit the pause button. Teru in resonance swoops in to stop the sinister psychical student, 
but not even his hair nor clothes are able to withstand mob super science psycho's appetite for destruction, leaving the cleanup work to be done by the suicidic squad. It's finally happened. The thing that Ritsu tried so hard to prevent and the thing that Mob was worried about the entire show. Mob has become his own worst enemy and his powers have gone out of control. This is significant to the story. This is what they have been foreshadowing since the start of Mob Psycho in season one when Ritsu first brought about the... uh, I think he had like flashbacks about that one time that Mob got um, injured or whatever and then went berserk when he hit 100. And that's why Ritsu has tried so hard to, I guess, check on his brother or keep tabs on him and make sure that he never goes through any trauma or any stressful situations because he didn't want that to happen again. So why exactly is it this car collision that triggers Mob's psycho persona to just burst? Is it because... In saving the kid, he didn't think to use his powers, even though he had used the powers for the cat. And, you know, maybe it was just so bottled up by this point that it caused him to explode. That's a good question. I I was wondering the same thing. And my theory is that Mob was already undergoing a ton of stress having to confess to Subomi. Like that Mm. is extremely stressful for him. And so he was bottling up that stress. But then in getting incapacitated and getting knocked out by the car crash, it knocks him out and I think like unleashed his everything that he had bottled up inside. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I remember correctly, that was what the initial incident was back when he and Ritsu were kids. A mob got injured. I think he got knocked out. And that's when he had his first 100 explosion. Oh, right. I'm really glad, though, that they gave Hanazawa some significant parts here, Um, not only with the Ekubo arc from the first half of the season, but in this arc with Mob going berserk, because Hanazawa is a real one. Yeah, he was uh, foe-turned-friend in season one, but since then, you know, once Mob's words got to him that, you know, you shouldn't feel special having your powers and whatnot. Hanazawa has had a completely different outlook on life, and that shows the power of Mob's words, which he'd prefer to use over his his powers to hurt other people. But anyway, Hanazawa's a real one. He doesn't want to hurt Mob in this situation, um, despite Mob's inner thoughts, thinking that it's okay, go ahead, attack me. Don't think of me in that way. Like, you need to stop me at any cost. Hanazawa, Hanazawa still does whatever he can to help Mob instead of trying to attack him. I think he saves that violence as a last resort in the same way that Mob did in their initial fight in season one. So it's almost like things have come full circle because now the roles are reversed. Yeah, especially because Teru in this moment, Hanazawa, is thinking first about saving the nearby onlookers from the destruction that is being caused by this fight. Uh, so yeah, really an acknowledgement of Teru's transformation throughout this series from a an esper who was hungry like power hungry with using his psychic abilities to one who knows how to use it for a sort of greater good and what we'll see in this episode and the last two episodes as more people show up to try and stop mob is that mob has been so truly himself he's been so honest about who he is maybe not like you know with hiding his true feelings or trying to detach himself from his powers but generally like people know mob for who he is 
and they without a doubt want to save him and not hurt him like no one that goes up against mob in these next couple of episodes doubts what's going on with mob they all say you're hurting inside something's going on here that you're not able to control they know him so well because he's built these bonds with these people but then also uh i have to ask one question uh about hanazawa's hair so like the top part is shaved again are they mm. saying that his hair never actually grew back from the season one fight and that he's been like putting oh, like a toupee. toupees on and because his clothes got blown away, his fake hair got blown away? Or are they saying that the the forces from Mob's like psychic powers ripped his clothes off and re-ripped his hair off? Well, yeah, the the sides of his hair would have also burned off too that's what i'm thinking so i think his hair never fucking grew back from season one. Oh wow <laughs> <laughs> poor poor hanazawa and then we got more cameos in this again the, the kombini that's run by the former claw members uh okay that, that was great and then you have the return of i think the the antagonist of season two which is toichiro the the leader of claw uh, and so I was thinking like, oh, great. Is this going to be a rehash of what we saw in season two? Like the showdown between him and Mob. But that's not the case, which proves to be a little bit interesting in the next episode, which in episode 11, Mob 3 trauma, Big Daddy Claw takes a cameo curtain call from the Suicide Squad in an attempt to exact vengeance on Mob Super Saiyan Psycho after their season two bout. But recants because Ohana means family, and family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Which is the exact mantra that Ritsu Carlton takes to heart as he becomes the next opponent to try and extend a helping hand to his beleaguered brother. Until the sinister psychical student whips up a tornado and swears to take over player one controls from the real mob, leaving it all in the hands of one very suitable, upstanding, and qualified challenger who has proven time and again his prowess against the paranormal, Reagan. So more cameos. Uh, yeah, the, the son and dad duo make an appearance here in the beginning for like a short fight, but then they end up fleeing. Like the dad tries his hardest and he's like, nah, I can't do this. And then they leave. So it just felt very short-lived. Mm -hmm. um, again, it seems like they're giving all these characters short spotlights in a way to recognize all of them for this final season without actually giving them something substantial to do or a substantial impact on the story. Because after that, the Body Improvement Club shows up and they're quickly disposed of. Why even do that? Like, yeah, we get it. They're concerned about Mob and they want to try to help him. But it just felt like a throwaway. It's great to see these characters and how much Mob means to them but not in this type of way. I'd prefer it not to be so throwaway-esque. Yeah, I think Sho, the son of the leader of Claw, he just felt like one of the least developed characters out of the series. And here he's kind of just relegated to a plot device that you know it, it causes Toichiro to get out of the fight for a righteous reason, but it just felt so wrapped up in like, five to ten minutes yeah exactly and then you have ritsu's big moment um and that i was really looking forward to and ritsu tries to help mob and even has his own 100 percent explosion to release some stronger powers but again this moment is short-lived and he's whisked away from mob and then he just 
says, well, I've done all I can. Now it's up to somebody else. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, I, I just, I would have liked to not have had the bodybuilding or body in- improvement club and not have had this father and son duo try these things in the beginning of the episode and have the entire episode dedicated to Ritsu trying to help his brother, trying to reach his brother on the inside and get him to stop this berserk mode. Um, I did appreciate, though, how Ritsu reflects on why he feared this day would come. Again, going back to the first time that Mob hit 100% and that Mob became so ashamed at what had happened that he decided to like hide his own powers away and bottle up his emotions and honest thoughts. It's basically telling us that all of this is happening because he bottled everything up and refused to accept 100% of himself. But again, I, I kind of wish they expanded the Ritsu moments in this episode and had a more significant struggle between these two brothers. The more I reflected on this episode, though, despite its faults, I think the idea of it and maybe of the entire psycho arc specifically is how Mob's erratic powers are actually helping people come to terms with what makes them whole rather than bringing out the worst in them even as they're trying to contain the worst of Mob and bring him back to his normal self. So like with Teodoro Hanazawa in the previous episode, we see as he learned in season one, he's using his powers responsibly rather than selfishly in facing this Mob Psycho. With Toichiro, the leader of Claw, similarly, he's not letting his powers go to his head at the expense of his personal life when facing Mob Psycho. And then with Ritsu, in facing Mob Psycho, he comes to the realization that he needs to be there for his family and friends instead of harboring like these... I remember he was like jealous about Mob having these powers and not harboring that jealousy about what makes them different for, or different from you. So it's, it's interesting that even though Mob's in this destructive state, it's because of his powers that it's bringing out the best side of these characters. Yeah, it's a good point. It, it's all these characters seeing the side of him that he's wanted them to not see the entire show. And in the final episode, episode 12, Confession, the Future, Reagan reaches his young demented ward after Mob has a private party chat with his pernicious persona about how with great power comes great irresponsibility. With the help of the risen lord and savior Dimple, the con man finally confesses that he's a grade A certified fraud, which shocks Mob enough to the core that his Super Saiyan psycho side fucks right off. Reagan then helps his mentee through the trials of prepubescent rejection and learning to accept every fiber of your being, even the not-so-desirable fibers that dabble in the supernatural and brings a city to its knees every now and then. Several months later, One Punch Mob has settled into his new but fulfilling role as just your average ordinary guy, not a care in the world. Participating in a Mob Psycho 100 reunion with castmates new and old in the form of a surprise birthday party for Reagan. But it is Mob who is the jolly good fellow, which nobody can deny. I loved this ending episode. This episode, as well as uh, episode 6, which was the finale to the Ekubo arc where Ekubo sacrificed himself... These two episodes felt like they meant something. 
especially when Reagan gave um, his all to to reach Mob and then tell Mob the truth. Because as I mentioned earlier um, in this review, Reagan has always hidden behind this facade being a con man. And while he has, uh, while he really does truthfully care about Mob, he's never been able to be truthful with Mob in, in, in its entirety. So here, Reagan says how important it is that Mob came into his life and go so far as to tell Mob the truth, that he's never had powers, he's never had any abilities, he's been a fraud, um, and basically confirm everything that the like the psycho mob was telling mob in his like inner battle that the guy's a liar and he's been using you. That is so critical, not only for mob to hear that, but for Reagan to finally admit that truth to him. Yeah. So here again, mob's psycho power is forcing Reagan to be at his most vulnerable state. And in this rare moment of character development, him seeking penance from mob for his wrongdoing is just another reason that mob should embrace his psychic powers and just learn to accept that as a part of who he is um because yeah to your point exactly like it was mob's powers that brought reagan or brought him to reagan so that's sort of a positive influence on how his abilities are being used um so as much as he thinks it's it's a, a really destructive trait if he's able to just control it and embrace it, then that's what really helps to make him whole as much as he's helped make these characters whole with his normal self and with his powerful self. And the episode is titled Confession. It's really not only about Mob's confession to Subomi. It's about Reagan's confession to Mob. And I don't know, like, I just, I love the way that they handled this. Similar to the Ekobo arc, where um, it wasn't anything flashy. It was just Mob being his true self and mm -hmm. wanting to help his friend. Here, Reagan doesn't do anything flashy. He joking, like he says, like, yeah, I've been working out too. So he's able to like run through the debris that's flying at him and like these, these tornado-like winds. He's able to, you know, push through that to get to Mob. And then the, the first OP kicks in. Yeah, oh my God, that was so fucking good. <laughs> that that was so hype. Uh, but it, it shows that... Um, you know, Reagan realizes the importance of being honest with Mob in this moment and that he needs to do whatever he can without this being any sort of like crazy situation. I would say the only thing that is um, that may be a little bit out there is that Ekobo shows back up. Yeah, I was going to ask what you thought of that. Well, it, it, I, I appreciated that like Ekobo was able to help Reagan reach Mob because Reagan doesn't have any powers. He's a regular dude. So for him to stand one on one against berserk mob i think would have been too much of a cop-out but showing us that it was actually ekobo that lended him his powers made more sense but then ekobo leaves so that reagan can have his moment with mob so there's nothing wild or out there reagan didn't suddenly develop psychic powers or whatever like they were still very honest about what would realistically happen in this situation and yeah, maybe it does feel like a cop-out that ekobo got sucked into the vortex and made his way back or whatever he said but to me, like, I'm willing to accept that because of the way that they used Ekobo in that moment to help Reagan, and also because I love Ekobo, so I'm glad he's back. Yeah, I guess he, he didn't really steal the moment away from Reagan. He was just there to, like, be a catalyst to that confession. Um, I don't know if that really just downplays the sacrifice that he made uh, a couple episodes ago. Because, um, yeah, I don't know, it's just weird, like, 
Yeah, he's back and everything's hunky-dory. I feel like it doesn't necessarily downplay it because he didn't know he would make it back. There was a chance that he would never make it back because, mm. again, he said, like, the tornado vortex sucked me up or whatever. Um, I don't know, whatever he, whatever explanation he gave. But he still ran the risk of never coming back. But he made that choice to save Mob anyway. But I see what you mean. It is kind of like, oh, shit, Ekobo is suddenly back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I thought that was just, just a weight to that sacrifice. But... You know, it, it's it's nice to see Dimple back, back in action. And the very end was, was nice. I like the birthday party for Reagan. Um, I think he's lived a very lonely life, and that's part of the reason he he appreciates Mob so much is because Mob is one of the few people that accepts Reagan. Um, even after their, that fraud moment that Reagan had in season two, Mob still told him, like, I think you're, I think you're still a good person. Mm-hmm. And he stays by his side. So it's nice to see that Reagan's inner circle has expanded and there are other people who appreciate what he's done to help them despite being the only one in the room who's a regular person. Well, that's not true. Some of the other club members, I think, are regular people too. But you get the idea. Yeah. It was just like a, this was a, where are they now scene. Um, and like I said, it just felt like a, a reunion for most of the cast of Mob Psycho. And then the series ending with, just a happy mob. I think that's that's what we've been aiming for the whole time. Just a mob who is content with his life and has has learned to accept himself for who he truly is. Oh, and of course, him getting rejected by Tsubomi, which I know you mentioned in your uh, your synopsis of this mm-hmm. episode. I think that was also spot on. There were some very realistic choices here that I think were fantastic. And him being uh, rejected by Subomi and us not having to really watch that in the immediate moment. We've got like a flashback afterwards, I think. Um, I thought that was great. He just comes back, says, I got rejected. I think he kind of knew deep down inside he never stood a chance because Ekobo told him that from the beginning. And then Reagan's there to comfort him. But he was able to do it in his true form. Yeah. Which is the important thing. Exactly. And that brings us to our final thoughts from Mob Psycho 103. So, from 0 to Mob Psycho 103, what would you rate this season? I would give Mob Psycho 103 a solid 8 out of 10. No higher than an 8 out of 10. Um, I think that's because it is a good season, but it pales a little bit in comparison to like season two especially so as i've mentioned a couple times already like it felt like the season was used to cleanly close out the story recognizing all the characters that we've met even if they had really small and substantial roles which is fine they want to neatly tie everything up in a bow but i would have rather expanded the ekobo broccoli arc and the Mob Berserk arc, and then shortened or got rid of some of the stuff like the UFO episodes. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I felt like they're, it's fine to like plant these cameos and just remind us that these characters existed, but some of them just didn't need to play out the way that they did. And for me, I feel like it's a shame that the Mob Berserk arc only had three episodes essentially, because this is where the entire story has been leading us to. This has been all of the foreshadowing since season one, and I feel like they should have given it at least two to four more episodes so that there could have been more time for meaningful interactions between Ritsu and Mob, Hanazawa and Mob, um, some of the other characters and Mob, and for him, Mob himself, to have more of a struggle with what's happening, the one thing he's feared happening 
is actually happening. And I think another reason why I can't give it any higher than an 8 out of 10 is because of these types of cameos happening left and right. As I mentioned before, it felt like the only two episodes that actually meant something and really brought emotion out of me were episodes 6 and 12, the end of the Echobo arc, and then when Reagan was able to stop Mob's berserk mode. And if I can make a Star Wars reference. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know. Get ready for this. This feels like the equivalent of, I don't know, I can't remember the fucking name, the last movie that had um, Kylo Ren. The last of that trilogy. Which one was that? The Last Jedi? What was it? <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker. Wow. I don't. I don't know the title. <laughs> um, yeah, that that movie. I had read a lot of reviews that it felt like very cushy, very comfy, very mm -hmm. like we're wrapping everything together in this neat little bow. You get the cameos. You get the the references to past events, and everything plays out very nicely. That's what this felt like. Is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. Um, but when we took such big risks in season two and had um, like so much at stake in season two, it kind of felt disjointed to then go into season three and have nothing come close to that. Um, it was still a really good season. That's why I'm giving it such a high rating. And I always appreciate a clean ending, a very satisfying ending, a very happy ending. Um, but I just wished that they, they dedicated more time to the Echobo arc and the Mob Berserk arc because those were really significant moments. And then last thing too, I feel like none of the fight scenes in season three came close to the amazing fight scenes we got in season two. Um, plus that insane animation that we got in some of those season two fights. I, I was like, season two just stole the show in terms of fight sequences and the way they, they animated all of those. Season three had some decent fights, but just nothing that compared. What were your thoughts? I would rate this third season of Mob Psycho slightly higher, um, 8.5 out of 10, or I guess 85 out of Mob Psycho 103. This season, it did just feel tame. I think it was a tame way to close out Mob's story. And as much as I felt like I expected more out of it, I think in hindsight, maybe was just the right amount for a series that kind of focused on the beauty of normalcy rather than making grandiose statements about power systems or larger-than-life personalities because that's exactly how Mob or Shigeo Kageyama wants to proceed with his life. He, like, like Yoshi Kagekiro, he just wants to live a quiet, youthful life. And I think rather than fulfilling the ex expectations of watching this rag-to-riches story of a protagonist starting from the bottom. I think season three was a fitting conclusion to this evolution of Mob as he has strived to live as normal of a life as possible despite his supernatural skill set. I think I like to view each of these seasons as focusing on one aspect of Mob's journey, where season one, it was about learning to accept his powers. Season two, it was about learning to use his powers wisely. And in season three, I think the theme is learning not to be defined solely by his powers. Although I will say with season three, it had its share of highs and lows in crafting this part of Mob's journey because it felt disjointed, as you said, or haphazard from Dimple's last but short-lived role as an antagonist to the weird UFO arc 
to the intriguing but rushed Mob Psycho finale arc. And it also felt like, as we've discussed, save for maybe Reagan, Dimple, and Ritsu, that Mob-supporting cast of characters just felt like they had fleeting cameos in this season, whereas they felt like they were a little more involved in previous seasons. Like for this, it was like, hey, remember these guys? I'm just letting you know that they're still around, although they still provide support for Mob in some capacity in season three. But I think just looking at this series holistically, I think I mentioned in our season one review that Mob psychic powers are this metaphor for not allowing ourselves to be defined by one single trait or flaw and to just be well-rounded individuals. And I think that was just the point of the show all along, especially gearing towards a demographic like mobs or even like self-deprecating millennials that might feel directionless or unfulfilled with their lives, that sometimes it's okay to settle for a normal life, even with our share of quirks or oddities. They don't have to dictate how we should behave or think if we learn how to reconcile with them and embrace them as part of who we are. And I think that is the meaningful message that I can take away from not just season three, but Mob Psycho 100 as a whole, even if it was a really long and winding road to get to that message. So what, uh, which season would you say is your favorite? Oh, that's a really good question. I thought season two had its moments of epicness, but I think the way that season three subverted expectations (laughs) makes me appreciate this one out of the three what about you i think season two is still my favorite um while we had our qualms with um the the big baddie i I know we we weren't totally in love with like every single choice in season two i think that um there was just more at stake there was um higher quality fight scenes um and i think the roles that were given to the characters that played a part in season two were significant um and everyone was used in a a very a very meaningful way um plus there were some really really great moments between ekobo and mob and reagan and mob that allowed me to have like a lot of the emotional connection um with mob psycho 100 so i think season two just had more of it all than season one or season three but i like i I love all of them we were i think we both rated all three seasons very high so Mm -hmm. the show in in its entirety has been great and i even love the ovas i felt like all the ovas i think there's like one per season or maybe two per season um all the ovas that we watched were really good so those were it was nice to not have like fillery ovas technically they are filler but they were significant enough where i was like totally happy to watch them so we'll see if we get one for season three i don't know if they've announced anything oh i'm sure maybe they'll do another like where are they now sort of episode like this finale where we just see mob living out the good life the good normal life i hope so because i fucking love mob i think he's so cute i love just how like subdued and plain he is um he's uh he's one of those adorable characters that i just i love watching and he makes some of the cutest faces so i i'm all down for more mob content i'm gonna be sad to not see any more of him 
Thank you everyone once again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our review of Mob Psycho 103. Let us know your thoughts. Now that the show has technically concluded, what were your thoughts on Mob Psycho 100 as a whole? And are you sad like we are to see it come to an end? But we appreciate you guys so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, like our friend Earthworm, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries and tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.